Trout Mask Replica is an album so assured in its isolated worldview that no matter how much it might alienate potential listeners, it still demands to be heard on its own terms. Yet, unlike most commercial pop, Beefheart doesn't write songs to seduce an audience. We're not asked to identify with him in this music because his songs aren't a conventional bearing of the artist's soul. Beefheart invites us to experience Trout Mask Replica rather than telling us what to experience. So whoever you choose to share this strident and peculiar record with, you're always going to be on your own with it. Which is why Trout Mask Replica embodied the punk aesthetic eight years before it exploded in the UK with the Sex Pistols. If the 60s hippie culture was clannish, punks were solitary. Punks were self-consciously outsiders in school and at work, critic Greel Marcus told Jeff Pevier of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. They picked things to like that nobody else did. They dressed differently, talked differently, and they weren't joiners. Trout Mask would quite naturally inspire countless other artists, from The Clash to P.J. Harvey, in finding their own sound, their own voice, to walk comfortably alone in the world. If you listen to it, you will find a world of voices speaking to you from all directions, Marcus explained. You might feel both exhilarated and completely lost. Perhaps it was this very quality of being lost that made Mike feel so nervous about Trout Mask. The record didn't provide a map to guide him in finding his way back into the larger world again, the way most great pop music can. This album was about discovering yourself as an alien, about being as different as Mike once felt, minus part of his leg. Beefheart's utopia wasn't born out of the real world, a world that Mike had wished himself to be part of again. Beefheart's utopia is the true definition of the word, nowhere, a desert island of the mind. Curiously, a few years after Mike handed me the Trout Mask Replica album, the record became part of a particular desert island study among music critics. What album would you take with you if you were isolated on a desert island? It's always been a tempting question, essentially a popular party staple, which allows music critics a casual forum to defend their tastes, test the wits of others, plus brag about rare records that nobody but them gives a damn about. The idea is also a bit ridiculous. What critic would ever want to be isolated on a desert island, with no access to concerts, free CDs, records, or even an outlet to express his or her persuasive views? After all, isn't music, even in the current age of iPods, still best enjoyed in a communal environment? A desert island seems to negate the whole purpose of music. It denies music an audience, save for that one lone fan, to test its true value. 
Yet this question became the subject of a 1979 book called Stranded, Rock and Roll for a Desert Island, in which 20 prominent American rock critics were asked by fellow scribe Greil Marcus to contribute an essay in response to this curious and appetizing request. The concept of the desert island was intended to be a purely metaphorical one, but was it? In his introduction to Stranded, Marcus comments, When I began to call up people I thought would be interested and asked them that question, asked them to contribute, the response was enthusiastic, but in many cases for a reason I hadn't anticipated. A great idea, said one person after another. I feel like I've been living on a desert island for years. A remark like that can lead a reader to think that, included in Stranded, there will be essays about music that can only be nurtured in isolation, in the mind and tastes of the writer.